Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. Well, I think everybody here probably has prayed before, right? We're on the same boat. We've all prayed before. Now, um, I don't know what your first prayer was. I don't know what my first prayer was. Um, but we we somehow were, were wired to talk to God. And hopefully your first prayer was maybe even guided by your parents, someone who told you uh, that there's a God in heaven who loves you and he wants to talk with you. He wants you to talk with him. <clears throat> and it's a good thing to have that kind of conversation. So, you know, you might have prayed, now I lay me down to sleep. That would have been a good prayer, right? Um, I don't know about the theological import of that prayer. I don't want to dissect that this morning. But, you know, you can learn a lot about someone when you hear them pray, can't you? I remember my, my son, of course, we taught our kids how to pray when they were very small. And, and uh, when they started being able to pray, uh, we gave them opportunity to pray even during during dinner. It's a good, you know, exercise to say we want to be thankful for our food. And so we let our kids pray for the food. And I'll never forget our, our son. He really caught on. Uh, when he was real little, he, he would pray and We'd have to cut him off finally because he would start praying and he'd say, you know, thank you, Jesus, for for the the hot dogs and thank you for the milk and thank you. And then I, then I, I opened my eyes to just see what he was really doing. And he was like, had one eye closed and one eye open and he was just scouring the table looking for things to pray for, you know. And he and when he got down to the napkins and the, and the forks and everything else. I said, okay, buddy, you know. Uh, Jesus knows all that stuff, so we're done. You know, now let's eat. And so he, he figured out that you don't have to pray for every single little detail, right? But but we all have our own little style of how we pray, when we pray. Um, now, I'm just going to be really, really honest with you this morning. Not that I'm ever dishonest with you, but prayer is usually something that we do when we feel like we can't manage or control something ourselves, Right? I mean, in, in all truth, it, it seems to be kind of a last resort. Don't worry, God, I got this. I'm working it out. I'm taking care of business. And then when it becomes a little over our heads, we say, okay, now it's time to get the big guy involved. And what we want to do in reality... And I'm just speaking for myself here, but I want to get it off my plate and onto his. Right? I want to get it off my plate, onto his, because I know he can handle it. I'm not able to. And, and really, I want that to be kind of it. Okay, God, it's on your, in your court, it's on your plate. Do your thing, and when you're done, let me know how it turns out. Because I'm, I'm really into, you know, answered prayer. Right? But the truth is, we do learn a lot about ourselves when we pray. What we want to talk about today is the fact that prayer is about asking God for direction 
instead of giving him direction. You catch that? There's a difference, right? When we talk to God, it's, it's not supposed to be a, about us giving him insight, like he doesn't know what's going on, and then giving him direction like we know best about how things should turn out. It's really engaging with God in that conversation that says, God, I'm, I'm coming to you, I'm talking with you because I really believe with all my heart that you know best. So I want to be a listener instead of a talker at this point. Now, we come to an interesting place in Scripture here this morning. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. If you have your Bible, you want to open that up, or your Bible app, go ahead and open that up right now. John 17, and, and we're going to start at verse 1. But, but let me give you a little bit of background. The background is this. Jesus is praying. And he's not just praying, he's praying for you. Now, wouldn't that be interesting to hear what Jesus has to say about you and for you? What he wants for you? Now keep in mind, if you pray according to the the will of God, Jesus' will, then you have what you ask for. So, this is, this is an interesting scenario here. We're going to look at a prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples, present and future, which involves us as followers of Jesus. And we know, without a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus is only going to pray what is within his will. Right? And so, if he prays it according to his will, he is going to get what he wants. So what does Jesus want for you? And how do we not only understand it, how do we participate in it? You see, because prayer is not about moving the hand of God as much as it is moving our hands to be in sync with what God wants. And so as we hear Jesus' prayer, what we're going to do is we're going to hear the outline of what God wants for us and our life. And how then we can best cooperate with that to live the life that God originally designed us to live and have the kind of life, the joyful, abundant life that he provides for us. All right? Now, one other little caveat. Someone was listening in. Jesus didn't pen this. John did. And you remember how many times in Scripture Jesus would invite his disciples, to come and pray with me. Well, evidently, John must have been there with a notepad and a pencil to take down what Jesus was praying. But he, maybe he, maybe Jesus prayed this many times, so many times that, that John just took it into his own memory. Because this was so important that John wrote this down and he wants you and me to know what Jesus is praying for us. So look at verse 1. It says, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up into heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. The hour has come. It's time. It's time. Now, you know, we, we always get in that, that mode when it's time for something, right? Like, it's time to go to church. My dad was really good about that, about reminding everybody it's time to go to church, 
right? He'd be out in the car, you know, everybody's trying to get out of the bathroom, you know, and we're jumping in the car and everything because it's time. Well, there's some urgency here. It's time. The hour has come. Let's get to it. And so he says, it's time right now. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you've given him the authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now, They know everything I have is a gift from you. For I've passed on to them the message that you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe you sent me. So Jesus is is talking with God the Father and he's laying this out. The, the, The fact that he came from heaven. He is now on earth. He came to to tell the story of the relationship that God had between man and and God. And Jesus is ready to make things right. That's why he came, right? Now, he he goes on in verse nine. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. I am not praying. Now, this goes on to verse 20. Uh, Skip over there. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. All who are mine belong to you and you have given them to me. So they bring me glory. So who's he praying for? He's making it very clear. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. Anyone who then was a disciple, a follower of him, or any of us who heard the message of those disciples, they wrote down the gospel, the the story of Jesus, the good news that God wanted to bring to us. And we now commit ourselves to following him, to embracing the forgiveness that he provides for us. And he now is saying, these are the people I'm praying for. Are you ready to listen? Here we go. What is he praying for us? Number one, verse 11. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name now. Here it is. Underline it. Protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Jesus is praying according to his will, the will of his own will, but also in connection with God the Father. He and God are one. And he said, number one, first and foremost, the first thing that he prays for us is that we will be protected so that, what? We'll be united. I look at at the Christian world today and I I can't think of how much more fragmented it could get. So does Jesus get what he wants? Again, 
We have to understand that Jesus gets what he wants, but it is only when we cooperate with what he wants. All right? So Jesus is praying for unity. He says, I am going to provide the protection for you to be able to be together, to be unified under the banner of Jesus. But it rests with us to cooperate with his desire. We can walk out of here and say, well, yeah, but those guys, and here we go, they don't, they don't believe the right things. They don't worship the right way. They don't meet at the right time. They don't wear the right clothes. They don't talk the way we talk. They sing songs that we don't like. See where I'm going with this? Jesus' first and foremost desire is that the people who claim to follow Jesus would be unified would not slander one another, would not spend all their time talking about divisions and how to create them. He's saying, I want them to have this show of unity, of togetherness. And he says, I want them to be together as tight as you and I are together, God. You can't get much tighter than that, right? There is that sense that we are one. We are one. And so I think any language that we have, any, any leanings that we have that, that, would, that would tend to, to add to the separation, to add to the divisions, to add to the angst, we need to stop it. That means me too. All right? To, to think, how can instead we have a conversation that allows us to keep loving each other in spite of our differences. Right? That's a harder conversation. Because we have to swallow our pride. We have to embrace the kind of verses that say that we need to think of others as more important than ourselves. Or better than ourselves. Start there with humility. Right? That's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Humility. That we may, even though we think we're right, we may not be right. Or maybe we're both right. Now, this borders on this whole issue of what is truth, right? Well, I'll tell you what's truth. What's truth is that God wants us to be unified. That's truth. Okay? Because Jesus is praying that for us. So he says, protect them by the power of your name. You see, it's around that name of Jesus that the unity revolves around. Are we following Jesus? Verse 12, he says, During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one who was headed for destruction, as the Scriptures foretold. Talking about Judas. He wants us to be protected from disunity. So here's the question. What can I do to protect myself from any influence that tries to draw me away from my vital connection with other followers of Jesus? Okay? We need to let that question sit. And we need to answer that question. How, God, am I going to live and talk and move in the world in such a way that I have the confidence that I'm protected, but that my my desire 
is that I would promote unity, not disunity. All right, here's the second thing that Jesus prays for. Verse 13. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. See, the purpose of him giving his instruction to us is that we would be joyful, right? Not weighted down with angst, but joyful. He says, I've given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Now you think, okay, that's his point. He wants you to be safe. Well, he does, but there's a greater point here, right? He says, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. He's setting this up for the second big thing that he wants for us. He wants us to know that we do not fit in this worldly system. Okay? We are not of this world, just like Jesus is not of this world. He came from heaven to earth to, re- to remind us that we are a specially created being by God, for God, and God had a design for us to live in. And the world has adopted another way to live. And that way to live is that they are in charge of themselves. No one tells me what to do. No one can reign over me. I make my own decisions. I decide what is right and wrong. I ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So now I can discern what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. I don't, I don't need any information from God because I can make my own decisions. That's the way the world works. And Jesus is saying, you weren't created to live like that. Matter of fact, he calls us aliens on this planet. That's kind of cool, really. I mean, you know, say, hey, I saw an alien the other day. Whoa, that'll freak somebody out. Yeah, come to church. There's a whole bunch of them. You say, have these alien gatherings. It's weird, you know. Yeah, we're not of this world. We are designed by God to be his people. And so here we have a scenario. He says they don't even belong to this world any more than I do. See, we're not citizens of this world. We're citizens of heaven. And we live in a hostile foreign environment in a culture that does not sync with how we were originally intended to live and relate to one another. Have you thought about that? I mean, really think about that. that I, I'm, I'm not supposed to fit here. Now, th- this doesn't mean that you're supposed to isolate yourself. There, there's some periods in history where Christians say, oh, I'm not of this world, so we will withdraw from the world. We'll make our own little holy, bu- holy bubble and we'll live in it, and, and we'll, we'll be protected that way from the world. So you know, let's circle the wagons. Let's not have anything to do with the world. We'll unplug our TVs. We'll unplug our radios. We'll, we'll throw away our, our cell phones, and we'll live in this you know, little holy huddle, right? Don't want to be touched by the world. Don't want to be getting dirty, right? That's one way to, to look at it, be a separatist. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He says, he says, I'm not taking them out of the world. He had an intention to leave us here for a point, for a purpose, Just like he is an alien here on planet Earth, we are here 
in his stead to be an influence, to be able to, to tell others to rescue them from that worldly system, to bring them into the light so that they understand the truth that they were designed for something much better. Right? So in verse 17, he says, So make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Now he's talking about the word of God, of course. And we, as true Anabaptists, we hang on the words of Jesus. He is truth. He is the word, right? And so anything that we look at in Scripture, we, we, we funnel through Jesus. What did Jesus say about that? What did, what did Jesus give us in terms of handles to, to hold on to so that we can make it through this life? So what does it mean to be holy? Well, holiness means to be consecrated or dedicated or set apart to God's service. Now, that's different than sometimes we think. We mix up holiness with sanctification. Okay? Sanctification is that process by which we are cleaned of our sins. And then we, we, are, we are, are cleaned of our sins through Jesus' death on the cross. His blood covers and forgives our sins for all time, once for all time. And so then we live into that and we gradually take sins off and we, we live into this, holy, this, this sanctification that, that he creates for us. But holiness is a different thing. Holiness is actually creating your life in a way that says, I am totally 100% dedicated to God and His mission in this world. Okay. I mean, it's not sinning less. We think holiness is sinning less. No, your sin has been completely forgiven. Think about that. Now, you can't do anything to get more forgiveness from God. You live into that forgiveness... If you do have sin in your life, you want to confess it and and get rid of it and take it out of your life. Why? Because you have a goal, and that goal is holiness. That goal is living in such a way that you can represent God in this world. See, that's why he forgave you of your sin. And as we go into the world, we can say, you know what? Yes, I used to conform to the way the world thought, the world lived. But God forgave me of those sins, and now I'm here to show you and tell you in all humility, I messed up big time, and I needed God. And I'm here not not to be holier than thou, right? Not to be more sinless than you, more perfect than you. I'm here to represent the fact that God's perfection is found in Jesus Christ. Okay? That's why we're here. And so we're set apart, we're set apart, dedicated for God's service. So holiness is is both possessive and progressive. We have been made pure and holy by Jesus' sacrifice for our sins, but we're still in the process of becoming more and more dedicated to him. Hebrews 10.14 says this, For by that one offering, Jesus is sacrificed on the cross forever, made perfect those who are being made holy. Jesus took care of our sin. Now we need to, to cooperate with that. If he forgave you of a sin, what do you do? You stop doing it. Doesn't that make sense? If it was something that needed forgiving, well then don't keep doing it. Right? 
So we put off our sin, but then we increase when we put that sin off. The point is to be dedicated to the service of God. So holiness has an objective. It makes us ready to go into the world. In verse 18, he says this. He says, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. That's what he wants us to, to do. So in order to effectively fulfill our mission to seek and save the lost like Jesus, that's what he said he came to do. Um, it's not about, and this is an interesting uh, thing that happened, especially in youth ministry. I remember back in the, back in the, the early 70s, Youth ministry is starting to get going. And a lot of these young guys were, were youth pastors and they said, well, the best way that I can, can get to the kids is to be like them. To dress like them, to talk like them. You know, if I have to cuss a little bit to be able to be accepted by a group, I'll, I'll do that, you know. It's, it's all about identification and being accepted through identification. Big mistake. Big mistake. You don't draw people to Jesus by acting like the world. You draw people to Jesus by being like Jesus. Jesus was in the world, but he was not worldly. He was anything but. He was otherworldly. And so that's why God leaves us here on the planet is to is to talk with people to engage with people yes to engage with some some snarky mean people or some people that are very sinful and not judge them because Jesus said I didn't come to judge the world I came to save it and so we are to engage with people that we know are out of sync with God but we're not we're not going to relate to them by being like them we're going to relate to them by being like Jesus and the way that Jesus related was to look into people's eyes and show them value. You are important. You are a child of God. You are created by God to be like Him, to be a reflection of His glory. And so we can look at anyone and we can say, that is a, a, a lovingly made creation of God that He wants redeemed. And so I am, I'm not willing to judge this person, but I'm willing to do anything within my power and the power of God to show them God's love. To reach into their life and say, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm, I'm just here to tell you that God loves you. And I'll do everything I can within my power to love you too. See, when we do that, the Bible says that love draws people to God, Right? And so we're here as representatives to look and be like Jesus to draw people to him. So what can I do to become more holy? Is there something I know God's telling me uh, I need to do or become? Something I need to put off? Some, some group I need to get involved in? That everybody says, you're involved in that? They're, they're a pretty sinful bunch, you know? Well, you know what? I want to be where sinners are. Otherwise, how am I going to reach them? You might need to join Kiwanis or wherever. I don't know what group you need to join. I think one of the greatest things that we can do is, is we all have this natural bent towards things. Um, 
You know, I'm I'm an old soccer player. I'm old soccer player, okay? Um, and, and yet, you know, for years I kept participating in in city league soccer stuff, right? Why? Because I wanted to be famous? No. Uh, I made all kinds of mistakes, but the one thing that I enjoyed being on the field was there were a bunch of non-Christians in the field. And yes, when after the game was over, they went they went to the pub. You know, I went with them. Okay, I didn't drink with them, but I went with them, and you know what? They respected that, and they talked to me, and I became their friend. And many of them came to faith. Why? Because I enjoyed them. I, I, they were good people that need to be drawn out and they need to see that they were loved. And when they, they found out I was a pastor, they freaked out. Right? It's okay. But you've got to be involved in, in something. If you like fishing, take a couple of guys out and go fishing. If you like golfing, go golfing. If you like whatever you enjoy. If you like Pilates, I don't know what that is, but you know, you, you, you do it and get involved with people. Don't be afraid to be in the world. Why? Jesus prayed for your protection. You're not going to get hurt out there, right? Be careful out there. But remember, go out there with confidence and humility. Go out there with love, not judgment. And you might be surprised. There's some really, really good people out there that just need to be loved on, to be shown how Jesus would treat them. Look, verse 21. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Underline the last part there. So that, what? The world will believe that he sent Jesus into this world. That Jesus is who he said he is. So that they could experience a renewal, a salvation, right? So he says, we need to to basically see people the way Jesus sees them. Now, the one thing that unites people more than any other thing that I, I've experienced in my lifetime, and maybe it's just because I'm an American, is that sports, when, when, when you see people from your team, what do you do? It's like, yeah, go Dodgers, you know, or go Giants. I had to go do both of those, okay, because I know I'm in, I'm kind of on the line here in the territory, right? I remember, you know, I wear... If you see me in my casual time, I wear bee hats. Just a hat that has a bee on it. Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't, I'm, I'm not for any team, right? But usually it's a Boston hat because that starts with B. Just want a little education here, okay? You know, B. And so I remember we went to Boston one time, my wife and I, and I had my Boston hat on. And it, for me, it just is, means B. Bruce, right? So I'm out and I'm walking on the streets. I'm walking on the streets, you know, and somebody goes, Hey, Boston, hey, go socks! And I'm going like, it's a bee. <laughs> you know? But people go crazy for their team. Why? Because they have one goal. They want to win the championship, right? And when our team loses, we're all down. When our team wins, yeah! And before the game starts, we're all, yeah! You know what? The one thing that's going to unite us 
as Christians is not music. It's not time of service. Not color of carpet. Right? What is it? One goal. To bring people to faith in Christ. And it saddens me to know that there's so many times I went to a church. I went into one church. I won't name it. Went to one church and they were they were dying. They were in decline. Uh, they'd one time been a been a 750 member church. They were down to less than 100 people. And as I went there, I said, Lord, I don't know why you're calling me here, but we'll we'll get to it here. So I I, I kind of went around the facilities. It was kind of kind of deteriorating a little bit and and I got to the baptistry and I found that it was filled with Christmas ornaments and decorations. And man, when they did Christmas, they did Christmas. I mean, they had trees everywhere, lights and splash. It was great. But I, I started asking questions and looking at records and the last time that they had a, a baptism was over 20 years Yeah. I said, this has got to change. This has got to change. They had isolated themselves. They were so afraid of the world that they had withdrawn. And they got involved in all kinds of dialogue about worship styles and this and that and blah, 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 blah. And and it was all pointing fingers about all the other Christians that were wrong. No wonder. See, they were so divided. They They were so judgmental. And I said, what is the one thing that Jesus wants? He wants us to be out there in the world showing people God's love so that they might see Jesus. So we changed our mentality. And that Easter, we baptized seven adults. But it took us engaging, engaging with a group opening our doors, creating a system that where we could have touch with people again. Yeah, you know what we did? We made, we made like a, a dog park. Everybody had dogs up there. We made a spot for people to bring their dogs. And we said, maybe some of us need to buy dogs and bring them here too and walk them and they're walking their dogs so we can talk to them and talk about everything. You know what? We had, we had three dog walkers come to faith. Right. We, we, we had we had a group that met on our campus that that rented our campus that we had nothing to do with because they were Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. But it was the large it was one of the largest meetings that we had in, in the South Bay area of Alcoholics Anonymous. Four hundred people met on our campus every single Saturday night. We had done nothing to engage them. Why? Well, they're worldly, right? So instead we said, I talked to the leader, I said, uh, what do you guys need? You know? Well, you know, what we really need is a place for people to hang out before our meetings because they come from all over the Bay Area and some get here early and some don't know where to sit and what to do. So, you know, they, they spread out, they go, you know, to maybe a restaurant or a coffee. What did we do? We had this massive foyer. We created a, a coffee shop and live music venue and we invited them to come and hang out. And we got to know their names. 
And I told people in our church, we need baristas. We need people, and we, then we need just welcoming people. Just people sit there and drink coffee, listen to music, tell me how good I'm playing on the guitar, you know. Do all that stuff, but engage the people. Find out who they are, get their name. They're coming every week. You know what? Many of them came to faith because they'd never gone to church before. But they got to meet a Christian that loved them, that cared about them, wanted to know their name. That, that's just a couple of examples. But it, it's, it's not about now grabbing onto one of those examples and running with it. What it's about is you thinking about your sphere of influence and where you're going to get involved in other people's lives. I mean, John, you got this great thing of basketball. I mean, some of you guys just need to show up on Thursday night and just hang out with some of the guys, get to know their story, right? Create this desire in your heart to get on God's team, right? And share his purpose. And as we do that, I think we're going to see that our real goal, our real goal here as a church is to love God and people so well that those people in the world who haven't believed in Jesus yet will understand how much God loves them and be drawn to follow Jesus too. All right? I want you to look at your life application this week. Think about it. Pray about it. Read what Jesus wants for you through his prayer and go from there. All right? Okay, let's pray. God, thank you for your love for us. We know that it's very tempting to just uh, nestle down in the warm, fuzzy blanket of your love and forgiveness and be want, want to be satisfied there. But help us do more than that, God. Help us, help us join the team in a way that makes us active. Give us the confidence that we, that we need to have to know that we are protected from the evil one. We can be in the world, but not of it. We can be out there with purpose and unity in our desire to reach people for you. May that be true in our lives, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.